Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity and crisis. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I survived. You did. Yeah. And thrived. I'm thriving. You had a workout this afternoon. Yep, my second one in a row, and that's, I usually have to take a break in between. That's right. I innovated, and I got it together. Yeah, I'm a survivor, but I'm thriving too, so that's good. Anyway, I am glad to be here today, and what was the name of this today? Today is Crisis and Trauma Do Not Have to Cripple Us. We have choices about how we respond. Absolutely. And if I could add just one point, which is that we really are continuing today from the episode before. And so um, at some point, I'd like to just kind of give a quick review of what we talked about last time. Why don't you do that? And that'll give me some sense of continuity. What is, what is it that you have in mind about last time? So that's a, or the last, what's in your mind? Yeah, that was episode 15. Okay. This one's 16. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the experience of crisis, what it feels like what happens inside us when a crisis enters our life, right. how overwhelmed we can become and fearful, our survival may be threatened or may we feel that we're threatened. Mm -hmm. um, we feel out of control, not only of what might be happening around us, our situation, but also what might be going on inside us. Definitely. And the turmoil of emotions, both related to what's happening now and what might have happened in the past that we haven't really resolved come up again. You're talking about triggering? The residues triggering. are triggering. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one other thought that we added uh, particularly is that it, it, a crisis strips us. It um, exposes our humanity and uh, takes us to a place where we feel very vulnerable uh, but are in a position to grow and learn from the experience and, and make a change. Uh, we started to talk, just briefly at the end, we started to talk about how to respond in a crisis, not just how it feels like what's happening, but how do we respond. And you began uh, the introduction by saying that there's two things we don't want to do. We don't want to fantasize and bury our head in the sand, but we also don't want to catastrophize and look at everything very negatively. Mm -hmm. We want to stay positive. And I think that's where we want to take off from today. Okay, and I think another word for crisis is trauma. And one of the things we've specialized in for the last almost 50 years is recovery from trauma and the effects of it. Um, I do have a lot of experience there, but I also have a lot of personal experience. And I, the, one of the things that makes these broadcasts so much more valuable to me personally is my. it's, it's almost like talking to myself. And instead of, you know, when you've been a clinician for almost 50 years, well, it was supposed to be something that would bring out a better part of your humanness. What I actually found out is dehumanizes because you begin to look at everything clinically. 
And instead of seeing people as human beings that have gone through difficult times and are affected by that in certain ways, you don't see it that way anymore. And you don't see yourself that way. And that was a great loss. And uh, It's uh, that urge to diagnose. It's the, yeah. And it's seeing and everything so clinically. Yes. And right out of the diagnostic manuals and all the criteria that fit that and non, all the way down the line. Well, the problem with that, there's a lot of problems with that because it leaves out being a human being and it separates you from your fellow human being. And if you're a practitioner, it really separates you because you think, I used to think this, forgive me, uh, that I was healthier and that I was more on top of things than the people that I was helping. That was a fantasy. And that's a real, uh, as a leader, uh, it's a real, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, not stepping stone, but a, a block. Uh, it gets in the way. It's a barrier. A blind spot. A blind spot. It causes blind spots. That's right. In yourself and also seeing other people in a more humane way. I'm glad to say that at this point in my life, in my career, and that we're not doing this, that I don't see things that way anymore. I see people as human beings who've gone through hard times, and they need to be related to as a fellow human being. And that includes me being a fellow human being, a fellow traveler. And I'm glad to be there. It, it doesn't come through easy. Excuse me. It does not come through easy times. I don't want to draw that kind of picture. My, my coming to this place has come through a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, loss. Uh, I'm certainly going through hard times now with my wife, who I adore and love. Um, in fact, I stopped off to make sure I saw her before I came here. And it meant a lot to her, and it means a lot to me. I love her. Um, and I've discovered a deeper sense of love and caring and selflessness that I ever knew possible within myself. And that's a gift to me. Uh, and I, I relate to the rest of the world that way. And interestingly, so many more people relate to me. And I love that. It, it really... It's not just a sense of fulfillment. It's a sense of connectedness with my fellow man. And uh, I just went to a restaurant to eat, and sure enough, a young woman who I know and knew my wife, she was so human with me. And uh, she was talking about, she's been through some hard times, absolutely, and so is her family. But she was talking about the value and the importance and the strength that she's gotten to and she's not an old girl she's a young beautiful young woman um, but she was talking about how it made her so much better a person stronger and more capable and more positive in her approach to life now this didn't come from dr bernstein mm. this came from diane at new york pizza in petaluma <laughs> and it, and she was taught this came right out of her mouth i didn't lead it and but she was also talking about there are a lot of other people I've gone through for times, and they cannot relate to where she is. They're so negative and bitter and angry, and uh, they can't understand how she's come out of what she's been through and has such a positive, upbeat outlook toward life. Now, she's not a, a super upbeat type. Uh, she doesn't play the Pollyannish type. She's not that... But she does see things in a, a hopeful way. 
And she says she knows so many people that cannot relate to that with her. Mm. They don't know how she got there. They don't agree with it. They don't like it mm. because she says they're so negative and bitter after what they've been through. Mm. So she was really appreciative of the, uh, I was taking notes, I was doing some notes while I was eating my lasagna. And she said, I said, this is for the, the next uh, radio show, podcast. And she was talking about something that we're going to talk, that we talked about. And she was talking about people who have not had hard times, who have it very easy. And they haven't had many challenges in life. And they, they live a relatively painless life. They avoid challenge. They're very secure, financially well-off, whatever she, uh, Clara. And she said, and when the hard times hit them, this comes from Diane. Oh, gosh. Not the Dr. Bernstein. No ventriloquist stuff going on here. And here she says, they have nothing to draw upon. They don't have the strength and the the arsenal to draw upon the, uh, because they've lived such an easy life. And they've, she said, they don't think life touches them uh, like it touches the rest of us. Wow. They feel removed. And she said, and then a crisis or trauma hits them. This is from Diane. I'm just, this is like your, 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 you completely. So. I know. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, Diane, I'm working on this paragraph right now. Are you reading over my shoulder? That's what I did. I said, <laughs> Diane, take a look at this. I want you to see that we're going to talk about just this thing today that you're talking to me about. Yeah. And she said to me, they don't have the strength and resilience that I do. Yeah. And she said, I know you have it too, because I know you and your wife. And she said, I really miss her. And she said, she's a strong woman. She's a really strong testimonial to dealing with hardship and difficulty by no choice of her own. And she said, and you do have the capacity, the greater capacity to be a loving, selfless man. I know you do, because I know you. This is like, wow, Diane, this is just what we're going to talk about. Not me, but, and here she is. And she's not an older woman who's been through, and looking all beat up. She's beautiful. Uh, she's got a child. Um, it's just interesting because she's, she's been through a lot even up to her age. Mm-hmm. And here she's bringing this wisdom out. I didn't coach her and I didn't prompt her. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the kind of relating that people do with me now. I don't have to prompt them. They feel open with me. They feel less guarded. They feel they can talk about the deeper things that have been through or what they're going through with me because they know they're talking to a fellow, a fellow traveler in this life who also has seen hard times, who's helped a lot of other people. But for some reason, before, it had to do with, well, Dr. Bernstein is a very busy clinician, uh, and he's a, you know, they kind of had a stigma to me, and it kept me removed. And I, I didn't know it was like that, but I know it was happening. That seems to have disappeared, mm-hmm. and I'm so glad of it. Because when somebody like Diane talks to me, you know, that fulfills me, that encourages me, and it makes me feel so much more humble and genuine and connected and compassionate. So there are good things that can come out of this, but not without pain, not without suffering and difficulty. I'm not saying that. And if I were to talk to somebody in the midst of one of these difficult times. Or someone who's listening right now. Okay. And if I if this comes to you at the wrong time, it could be very insensitive. Because we could be talking to you when you need to know about it. how do I get through this right now? That's all really nice and good, Dr. Bernstein Peter. 
Some people call me Bernstein, you know. Yeah, there are a few. Yeah, they like. <laughs> they love you, but they, they still say call you Bernstein. Like Bernstein, <laughs> and you know it's interesting. Um, I love that when they do that. Yeah. But um, what was I just? I was thinking of somebody who does that. Like you were, you were saying, oh, uh, that uh, uh, when Diane was talking to you, and you want people to feel like. I don't have to want anymore. They do. They do. And they feel so much more gen- open with me yes. and accessible. In doing that, that fills my need too. And I love it. And I don't have to go around being a bleeding, hemorrhaging emotionally. And they know it. And I don't do that. Um, but they can sense a, a humanity to me and a compassion and an openness that has nothing to do with my degrees and uh, experience it has to do with who I am so that's what we, that's, there are good things that come out of it but I don't want to minimize oh that's what I was I don't want to be insensitive mm-hmm. because when people are going through this it's very nice to reflect later on the meaning and the purpose of all of this that's a good thing yeah but when people are going through it that's not exactly what they want to hear they want to know tell me how to get to the what next what do I do now yes can we return to that yes You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back with that topic after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And what we want to do now, I think, Peter, is kind of launch into answering that kind of frantic burning question that someone in crisis or having trauma in their life might bring to you, saying, okay, well and good, at some point I'm going to be grateful that I had a chance to grow and this will all make sense to me, but I am not there now what do I do? How do I best handle this overwhelming experience? Okay. There's two really general types of trauma and crisis. And one is a shock trauma, which is immediate, and that is true survival. And then there's a long-term types of trauma that are definitely traumatic, but they don't just go away overnight, and you're going to be dealing with them for a long time. So we're talking about two different types. If it's in the midst of, if you're in the midst of shock trauma, we're talking about just making it from minute to minute and just surviving. Um, and we're not interested in reflection. We're interested in how do I get through this? Well, the truth of the matter is they usually move so darn fast that just getting through moment to moment is what really matters. Not getting ahead of yourself. You don't have to. It's how do I survive from moment to moment and get through this? And getting ahead of yourself actually creates more problems. Well, it's very hard in that kind of thing to get ahead of yourself. You're, you're dealing with the immediate challenges that are coming at you as fast as they can. You're out of control. There is no control. You, the situation is overwhelming. You have no control. Your emotional life is, at those points, not very controlled. And it's something that we're just... It's all of a sudden you're going to live through it and make it through, but you're not going to feel like you have any control, that there's something else that's in control. And the situation that's in your, it's challenging you is so overpowering that you feel that uh, 
that's what's controlling and making it through, period. Um, that's very, very important. Um, if we're, and there's certain things that begin to happen, by the way, to a person when they're in a trauma or crisis. And that is the first thing that happens is our nervous system. We talked about this in another show. We have, yeah. Our, our, and we specialized in this in our work and our body work that we do with uh, autonomic responses uh, to helping people recover from trauma. But one of the things that we know is our autonomic or automatic responses take over immediately. And when you're hit with a crisis or trauma, your intuitive system is going to go into a hyper-alert, hyper-aroused right. mode. And that affects our hormones, that affects us, uh, brings in the adrenaline, the cortisol levels. Uh, and one of the things that happens is you don't have to think. Your intuitive abilities are telling you, pay attention right now. You have to, this is a, you're either going to, they call it fight or flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. You're going to either start running, you're going to freeze because you're petrified with fear, uh, fight or flight. Um, or you're going to fight. Yeah. Okay. Those are pretty standard reactions, generally speaking. Uh, we've seen it. Uh, I think we use this as an example. I, I love it. If you've watched uh, animals in the wild and watch a deer, you deer grazing, and they're so quiet and peaceful, and then they get a sense that there's a predator around. That you may, we may not even see it, but their senses are reading it. All of a sudden, they can't eat. They don't eat. Their digestive system shuts down. The hair on their back goes straight up. Their eyes are bugging out of their head, and their every sense is alert to the possibility of a predator attacking them. And for an instant, they do freeze, and then they decide whether they're going to run to try to outrun it, or they're going to freeze, or they're going to be uh, fight or flight. <laughs> they don't fight. They run. Um, and... You can see it vividly because they have an autonomic response system too. They don't have what we have though, which is the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is the executive center that also tells us how to mediate and read these situations uh, along with our intuitive abilities. Well, these animals only work primitively. What you'll see though is much, their senses are much highly more highly tuned than us. When that predator is out of uh, threatening position, all of a sudden, you'll see them shake because the, the energy level was so high in the hyper alert system. The energy that came up to help them deal with the situation. If they were going to have to run. Yeah. That's right. Or, or, or uh, even freezing. It's a pet petrified state. Mm -hmm. And what you'll see is they'll begin to shake, shaking off that energy. Their, the hair on the back of their necks will go down. Their eyes will begin to soften. And they'll go back to foraging and eating. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. That particular mechanism... It's very similar to ours. We have that also. We do, very we much so. But as you said, we have more. We have more. We have a prefrontal cortex that tells, gives us more readings on a situation, and in a positive way. Um, okay, so we go. the first reactions, I told, um, as I'm saying, are that hyper-aroused system right away. Mm -hmm. The next system is, well, are we going to be, are we going to run, are we going to fight, or are we going to um, freeze? That comes next. And then uh, uh, after, that, after that, we get to reading on the situation. Our whole system is t geared toward that. Mm -hmm. And it's for survival, Survival period. in the moment. That's right. And the fear and anxiety that goes with that is not the typical fear and anxiety of normal living. 
it's so much stronger, so much more intense. Uh, there's no way to express, explain it in normal terms because it's that, it's that powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps us deal with the immediate threats if they're really there, okay? So that does happen. Also, we get the sense of we are not in control. We don't have the control. Something else has the control, mm -hmm. and we have to respond to that too at the time. So there is that awareness as well. Right. That this could be, and the and the deer when they sense it's a predator, they know they're not going to be the ones in control. The predator will be. Mm -hmm. So that awareness is there too, intuitively. Yes. Okay. So that's all. That's all going to trigger off. Be part of the scenario. Yes. Yep. Now that would be more to uh, a, a very acute, like a shock trauma, traumatic situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the one kind. Then there's another kind that's that. And it includes more because the shock then goes into realizing that this is going to be going on for a while mm -hmm. and it's not the norm. You're going to be dealing with a very uh, a system that's on alert. Um, you're going to be talking about a loved one that you love who's got a terminal illness and you are going to be in hyper alert. And there's certain stages of that and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But that goes on. Mm -hmm. So your system stays uh, in that hyperarousal system, and it can go into if it needs to respond to someone in crisis during that sick period of that during that illness. Mm -hmm. You can respond so quickly, mm -hmm. and uh, it's because our systems are. It's oh, a good analogy is young mothers with babies, and when they go to sleep. Those mothers have a part of them that is always listening yes. for the distresses of their baby, and it's intuitive. And there's that bond and connectedness. So during those early times of raising a baby, they have that hyper-alert system too. Mm -hmm. It's not a crisis. It's just a tuning in the nervous system. They call it the sympathetic reactions uh, versus the parasympathetic, which are the more relaxed um, normalized system, but m new new mothers with babies have this. Um, loving caregivers have this with their with their partners in life, and they're there and they have that same kind of. It's not a restful sleep; it's a par a sleep that you're all ready to go and to address the the challenge or the or the crisis that may come up or the need immediately. All of those things are part of what we're talking about. I can think of another example, too, which might be um, military service members in the theater. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a big one because we have a nonprofit for veterans and their caregivers. We also specialize in post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Well, what we see is uh, these folks come home. They don't get out of that hyper-alert mode. It was and entirely appropriate when they were in active duty. That's right, and they were outside the wire in battle, absolutely. And uh, there was no time to reflect. They had to be in that state. Mm -hmm. Sleeping, <laughs> that, that really didn't go well. Uh, it, uh, there were a lot of things going on. With It's right along the lines of what I'm talking about, but mm -hmm. that's life and death. And they're constantly 24-7 going for it. What we found was folks that came home couldn't shut it off. And their total mindset and outlook on life was the same as if they were in battle and they were at home. So they had no capacity for intimacy or love. 
They couldn't be a civilian without expecting something catastrophic to happen immediately. And they were responding, they were, the whole system was ready to go for it at any moment. We've seen many like that. I was like that. and I wasn't even overseas. Um, but you're trained that way. When I was trained in infantry training, and I never even got to Vietnam, I my system was geared that way. I couldn't Survival. shut Absolutely could not shut down. Yep. And I was trained to go. It was muscle memory. It was that fast. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have seen that with veterans. Uh, we've seen the challenges that their caregivers and loved ones have with them. Mm -hmm. uh, we've helped a lot of them recover. We're, that's a long-term process. We've seen some that have the after all the time of reflection starts when they finally get off the front lines and come home then their systems almost go into a, a an inappropriate kind of decompress where they uh, then begin to reflect on what's happened what they've done what's been done to them and their loved ones over and uh, loved ones their brothers and sisters in battle and then they begin their systems actually go into some kind of reflective mode and the intensity of what they went through that they didn't even come tr close to even dealing with. And that energy takes over. And when it does, uh, they can't sleep. Their memories are so vivid like it's happening now. Um, we lost one. We lost a Marine. The last, I think the last uh, Marine, he was in, uh, what was the name of the unit that he was in? He was in re a recon. He was a recon. And we lost him and... Uh, he tried to shut it down with addictive substances. The VA tried to shut it down with, uh, with all kinds of medications, and he couldn't sleep. He would have uh, tremors and seizures, uh, and he kept vividly remembering the people that he had killed and the people that uh, he loved that were killed, mm -hmm. and he could not get it out of his mind. Eventually, uh, he was suicidal, and he did, he did do himself in. Uh, that was a heartbreak. We've seen too much of that. Yes. Um, so we know about it. Uh, that's the extreme. And to us, we have a life commitment to preventing people from going to that devastated, hopeless, negative, overpowering experience where they don't want to live anymore. They don't want to live with that intensity. Our job is to help them recover from that. Not doing psychotherapy. Not doing things that make them feel like they're physically, they're mentally ill but where we can get their systems to decompress. And uh, we've, we've done a fair job. Um, I don't want to claim absolute cures because we don't work that way anymore. But we've seen people heal, and that, that's yeah. important. Yeah. Anyway, that's part of what we're thinking about. But let's go back to the civilian life and uh, uh, what happens there. There's another part of it, too, and that has to do with, um, I think our technician gave you a signal. Did I see that? Or am I yes. from the side of my... Yes. Yes, we're conspiring against you. You know, my peripheral visions, that's left over from being hyper alert. <laughs> okay, so I, yeah. we, we're, we're, we're saying, let's, let's uh, say you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, before our break, we were going to return to uh, the civilian side 
of uh, responding to trauma and crisis. But I want to. I also want to just throw something in that we we talked about kind of in preparing, mm-hmm. and that is that um, we've said uh, that our. Uh, our our nervous system, our whole setup uh, is similar to animals in our fight, flight, or freeze response, but that we also have what they don't, which is a cognitive function. There's a positive way to use that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Can't we use some of our cognitive function to stay objective about what's happening so that we can have not panic, not uh, get so lost in our fears and overwhelmed that we can't respond? How do we, is this an important part of how we respond to a crisis? Uh, It is, and it's an important thing to remember. I'll say that. But I got to say, when you're in the midst of a crisis or a trauma, the intensity of emotion takes over most of the time. I have to say that. Uh, And and when that happens, we can get get ahead of ourselves. Um, It's very important to just, when we're in the midst of it, to take it one moment at a time, as we mentioned before. Right. If we don't, one of the things that can be happening, that can begin to happen, I'm looking at a paper we wrote, and I think anybody, by the way, if you want this, Jenny will tell you how to get this paper. It's an excellent paper on this subject. Uh, Let's see. It says, if we get ahead of ourselves, one of the things that can happen is we can become discouraged and despairing and overwhelmed, and we can become fearful and defeated before we even get to tomorrow. In the midst of a crisis, we have to stay strong and focused. That's a little bit of what I was getting yes. at. Some some grounding, some some focus, some ob- some objectivity. A little bit, as much as we can bring in. Yeah, I it's not it. easy. I'm not saying this is easy. No, you, you go on to say just how hard it can be. It is, and I think that one of the things we have to remember about our emotional reactions is that is not the whole story of life. But when they take over, it feels like it. Mm-hmm. we got to remember that there is there is life beside the cri- outside the crisis, and there'll be, there will be more to life after the crisis and after the, uh, the turmoil that we're going through. And there, that, that's hope and faith and trust. But when we're in the midst of it, it's hard to remember these things. Very, it really is. Very hard. That's why when I say this, I don't want to sound... Uh, like I'm trying to give you something that uh, isn't realistic for when you're going really in the midst of it. Yeah. But I do think it's something that you can, I want to say this, you go through enough crises and traumas, you know what we're talking about. Even though you're dealing with, you got two parts of yourself, the part that's dealing with the immediate survival needs, period. Mm -hmm. And there's another deeper part that goes, you know that there's more to this than just my reactions right now. I know I'm going to survive it. Mm-hmm. I know that we're going to get beyond this. And there's life beyond this and outside of this. And that will come out of this eventually. Mm-hmm. That's uh, really an important thing to draw upon in our personal arsenal. Mm-hmm. It gives us a certain ability to defend ourselves in the midst of it. And it really, stay, it's a foundation. A little more grounded, a little more stable mm-hmm. if we can hang on to that. And if we can't hang on to it on our own, Maybe there are people around us who could help. That's the other thing. Uh, it really does help us. Uh, you know, I'm just reading this paper. Forgive me. I know Jenny yeah. was talking. No. I love this paper we wrote. I can't, I'm can't. Well, i sorry. No, go ahead. What, I like this what paper. Grab, what part of it are you looking at right okay. now? Okay. Um, the paragraph that I'm looking at says, uh, 
It also helps to remind ourselves that there's more to the picture than our emotions and the messages and judgments we may associate them with. We may be tempted to tell ourselves that we're crushed and defeated, that we're worthless and ineffective, that we're bad people. Self-incriminations like those are really just part of the expression of our pain. Overwhelming traumatic emotions can make us feel so blinded and dead-ended and so deeply sunk that we can forget that there's a reality that goes beyond our crisis and trauma. That is hope to it. It has hope to it. That's right. Yes, that we lose that so quickly. Yep. And there's another good part. We, can, we may fail to realize that we'll bring the benefits of the, and the strengths that we get out of this and that we gain from this to other parts of our lives. When we begin to emerge from our hyper-alert state caused by the onset of the trauma, there are so many parts of us that we need to be able to call upon, and this gives us the strength, mm-hmm. and it gives us the grounding. Ooh, I love this paper. I better stop reading. <laughs> Sorry. I, it's, we could just keep reading. Yeah. It, you know, I'm reading to myself as well as the people I'm talking to right now. Yeah. Because it's a good paper. By the way, you can get this paper. Jeanette's yes, we will. Out. We will have it available. We will explain that, definitely. And we wrote that paper in the midst of the Great Recession Ten years ago. Yeah. And and at that point, the, the, the overwhelming community experience of trauma and crisis was the recession. Um if I could just throw this out, right. if I'm not going too fast, no. our community lately in 2018, 2017, went through a horrific crisis in the fires the, oh. uh, that went um, through uh, so many neighborhoods, Santa Rosa, Calistoga, mm-hmm. uh, all through Napa and Sonoma. Um, that experience was uh, definitely one that we could use to kind of uh, share some of these ideas that we've been talking about. Well, that was an amazing time. Um, Petaluma, I think we were surrounded by fires. Yes. Petaluma was the refuge city for about... We had so many shelters set up working in the city. About 100,000 people came to Petaluma. And I remember them just caravans of people with their horses and their cattle and trailers. I mean, it was astounding. Yes. You know what was really astounding? The graciousness, the compassion, and the love and generosity and caring that the people of Petaluma held out to these people. We we knew people who contributed mm-hmm. to the shelters, who went and cooked, who donated things. Everyone was turning out to help. It was amazing. It was an amazing time of a community coming together. Even though this town was so overwhelmed, I remember where my horses are. There were they somebody, and there was no capacity for this. She wound up having 60 horses from the fire there, and the folks that were there were migrating from the fires it was interesting how open they were and they were how deeply connected we all felt talking they were so open with me and uh they were just down they were stripped down to their basic humanity and it was quite an experience i gotta say as as overloaded as we all were no one complained not a bit if there was need for money, if there was need for extra feed for the animals or whatever, people found ways to get it to them. Uh, I, I considered that time precious. I also have heard, oh my gosh, uh, 
I heard so many stories. Well, we had people who worked for us that mm-hmm. went through this. Mm-hmm. They had to flee their homes. Yes. And the flames were engulfing them. They were evacuated. Evacuated all around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Kelly, who worked for us, was surrounded by, and her house, was, house wasn't even touched. Yeah. And yet, um, she was. her family was traumatized. They were evacuated three different times. The fires were raging all around them. Mm-hmm. Um, her father, who was very, very ill, and she was taking care of him at the time, she had to get him out with his oxygen and his wheelchair. And hospice followed them wherever they were and got the oxygen to her. Amazing. Hospice, oh, what an incredible outfit. But I remember Kelly's story. And uh, she went back three different times. She would, she would use the hoses to spray, even though the police wanted her to leave to keep the house possibly from burning up. Amazing. The sad part of it was a week after they finally were allowed to go home, her father did die. And the stress of it had to be just too much for him. I, that's what I would say. I don't know. But it was rough. But I heard so many stories of people that were sleeping, and they they woke up, and the flames were just about engulfing their home. Yes. And they escaped with their they lives. They had pounding on the door. You have five minutes to get out of here. If they had that. I just if heard that. a story today where she didn't know. She had something. She had a sense that something was happening. Her husband was sleeping. She went to the front door and opened it, and the flames were beginning to engulf her home. She and her husband had to jump through the flames with bare feet, pajamas or whatever, to escape with their lives, nothing else. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a horrendous experience. I was just told about it today, interestingly. And this lady had described what was, which they didn't think they were gonna live. And they Mm -hmm. were jumping from where, there must've been some clear spaces through the fire onto a clear spot just to, and they had to run down the road while the fires were just consuming the entire communities. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, that same lady, this is a story that I was told today, um, talks about what she came to after she has decompressed and debriefed from that experience. These stories I've heard over and over again, uh, different variations, about how she came to be so grateful for what she has had. She had nothing left. Everything they had, their home, their possessions, their cars, um, I've heard from many people, their animals, all gone. And this lady was talking about how grateful she became for the little things, that she was still alive, that her husband was still alive, uh, that yes, they lost everything, but they began to develop an appreciation for the little things that they had left. And her perspective changed dramatically. And uh, I was told about her today. I've seen this story, this kind of thing so many times since. But that she's such a, a, a grateful human being, a very compassionate human being, giving to others who are still so distressed, uh, very generous. I don't know what her living, new living situation is. Not many people have rebuilt yet. Uh, somehow it's starting it's slow yes but uh i don't know if she is one of them but Mm -hmm. i know others that have Mm -hmm. um and i've i know them personally but what i do hear in all of them is a a new energy for life Mm. a new appreciation for living uh and also they talk about and i've heard it and i've seen it how they felt a complete loss in their life of the con- things that they felt they had control over. That's a, like a, almost a grieving. They were grieving. 
And this lady today talked about her grief. Was it grieving over her home? And Well, she certainly grieved over her losses, but she said the greatest grief that she felt was that, that sense of security and control that she felt she had over her life mm-hmm. for a long time was gone. And uh, she grieved that loss. Um, I have heard that so many times since then. Uh, doesn't mean these people aren't getting on their feet, but they're reflecting from a place that's so heartfelt and genuine. And they're so grateful for having a second chance. These aren't people that talk like they're supposed to say the right thing because they have a second chance. These people are so genuine, so human and appreciative. Uh, We're going to have some of these people come on our show. We're going to have guests on that I think the main theme is that they've been through so many hard times. Very, We could have veterans that we know, these people through the fires, others that have had terrible accidents that I know, others that have had change of life that they turn their lives around but they have so much gratitude and appreciation for what they do have now we have a fellow that we know we love him and he's going to be on the show joe and he's in a wheelchair he's a quadriplegic today and amazingly that man has such deep appreciation for life and and what he does have left no complaints from this guy and the amazing part of it is He's there to give and acknowledge and support other people. And when he does it, it is so penetrating and uplifting, and it's not a performance. No. It's because he really pierces to what really matters. Mm -hmm. His compassion's the same way, but his appreciation's the same way, too. So uh, I know a lot of people like that. I, I love people like that. I surround myself with them, and I eat it up. And um, that's the kind of folks that we're talking about that are could have been crushed and become victims of their own self-pity and bitterness and loss. Just the opposite. Their whole mindset and outlook in life now is so grateful, so appreciative. Uh, not for big things, because they don't have them, for the little things. And they take it one day at a time with deep, deep love and gratitude. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, you had a a moment when you were reading from the paper, and if it's all right with you, I'd like to read one little section here. I have the same paper right here in front of me. Well, you know, we've been working together so long, it's very possible. Okay. Um, Here's where uh, you said, um, after we've survived... Uh, the initial intense part of the crisis, uh, we may come to a time when we can begin to reflect on the meaning and value of our experiences. We can ask, why am I going through this? What can I learn from this? Is there something in this I can gain from? Um, This attitude, uh, we can learn something valuable from the traumatic events is an important one. Just thinking, you know, you were talking before our break about the fires and about the people you know uh, and Joe, our friend, 
who have come to a deep gratitude for what they have now that wasn't that, that they didn't lose and the things that now matter the most to them it sounds like they have entered this time when they can look at and reevaluate maybe what means the most and uh, what they still have and the value it has for them. Okay. I, I just, you read that paragraph? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm one paragraph ahead of you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> but I'm reading, I'm on the same wavelengths as you are. Um, the next one is about acceptance. Yep. And that is key. And that is so hard. Yeah. I've got to say, just personally, accepting is so hard. And yet it's essential. Uh, it's ultimately we have to arrive at some kind of acceptance that we can't always be in control during hard times when things are so powerfully frightening and overwhelming. It's important for us to let go, to admit and accept that the crisis has happened and that it's taken its toll. We're not talking about being in denial. These folks aren't. And we're not talking about planning your revenge. That's the bitter side. And a lot of folks that go through this that come out more positively know what a waste of time that is and a mm-hmm. good energy. It's a waste of the energy they need that they have left to focus on what's good. Once they start shifting over and we all can do it. I want to say that. Mm-hmm. There's a self-correct. There's an objective part of ourselves that we have. It's, it's We have it during the crises and the traumas. We also have it afterwards. It tells us don't waste your time and energy on revenge and bitterness and anger. It's so much better to let it go and to move on because the energy that you give to that takes away from the very precious energy you've been given to deal with what you have left. That's what matters. The other is unfortunate. That's all you can think about. Now, I, mm-hmm. I, I think people go back and forth on that one. It's a process. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not absolute. No. And it's really a, ow. It's a process that they, uh, it's called... It's a forgiveness, for sure. But it's not this great religious experience. It's something that's very human. And what it means is you got to maybe forgive many, many times over because it's so easy to fall back into not forgiving, to being angry, to being bitter. Feeling and, entitled, feeling that, that life has been unfair and you deserve something in ex- exchange. And who doesn't at times feel that way? God, we all do. Yeah. But the point is that objective part of ourselves that stands back and looks at this and says, you got to self-correct. That's going down the wrong track. That's going down the wrong road. I hope this message gets out to those folks today who are tempted and who are going down the wrong road. I want to put this out there because I know those people too. And frankly, I hope we're putting a message out today that will help you self-correct before it's too late. And there really is a time when it will be too late. So um, we're talking about the, the improved, better journey. And we're also talking about the one that can go really south, go bad. And I know many people take that bad journey, too. Mm-hmm. And it ruins lives. If it you hurts stay people. there. And if you stay there, and it hurts yeah, people. Yeah, if you fall into it, don't be hard on yourself. Get yourself back out of it. That's the first part. Recognize you're doing it. Yeah. And have enough humility to self-correct. If you don't. If you stay there. If you stay there, you're going to always believe that you were entitled, that some injustices were done to you, it wasn't fair, Mm -hmm. And you're going to stay angry and vengeful and bitter. 
and sour and miserable. I'm talking to those people right now. Yes. This is a message to you. Wake up. That is the wrong path. It's also a path of passivity. It's going to take some courage to turn yourself around. I know many people of courage that could have a million reasons to feel the way you do and even worse. And they don't. They don't get into being a victim. They don't get into uh, uh, feeling sorry for themselves. They focus on what they do have left. They appreciate what they have. And uh, they live a much fuller life, even though they may have a lot less than others. For those folks that haven't gotten to that point, it's time for you to reflect in a new way. And uh, you're not entitled. None of us are. Um, life isn't fair. I can assure you of that. And you're not in control. This is so much right in step with acceptance. Exactly. How hard it is, how, how true everything you're saying is, and what a challenge it is. It is accept. a challenge. And for some people, for everybody, it's a challenge. But for some people, it's almost like they don't want the challenge and they don't want to accept. Yeah. They don't want to embrace it. They want to stay angry and bitter. That's unfortunate for you folks. And I would really encourage you to listen to this broadcast and others carefully because this is the difference between living a full life in spite of the barriers, the difficulties that you have in life. And there will be more versus just letting life crush you. Um, so please reconsider, reconsider now before it's too late. The point that's too late many times is that if you're holding bitternesses and anger toward people, the truth is the, the poison that you're, is, that you're swallowing is really not going to hurt them. It's what you're doing to yourself. That's number one. And the other is there are people that deserve forgiveness that you're not willing to forgive. There'll be a time when it's too late. They're gone. And you will hold remorse and regret when you realize what you're doing. That can never, that's with you. Mm -hmm. And that's very painful. Yes. We know people painful. that have that remorse and regret, and they know that part of them can never go and truly um, uh, seek a forgiving relationship. And that's, that's, we find that to be very sad. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, we're talking about how to prevent that particular loss, which is based on choices choices that we That's all can right. make this is where you do have choices yes and i would encourage you to reflect quickly because don't lose any more time don't live with regret mm -mm. whether it's about a relationship with someone whether it's about your own life and the person that you could become and would like to become uh you would have regret when you refuse to deal with and move through and accept and grow from what has happened to right. you. Right, and let go of the the attitude of entitlement and uh, that life's going to be fair because it's not, and none of us are entitled to anything. So just keep that in mind. But we really hope that this message will get to your place of need before it's too late. Um, it's Yes, many of you still have plenty of time to turn things around um, and make the best of what you have left. And take a look at life the way it really is. And realize, like my friend Diane at the New York Pizza Place in Petaluma said today, it, you gain strength when you realize that you've been through hard times, but that you can take that strength and apply it to the next part of your life in a positive way and be more resilient. This is out of the lips of Diane. And I'd like to just observe something about that, that time you spent with Diane this afternoon. Mm -hmm. If she or you, 
had been uh, holding on to bitterness, unforgiveness, a grudge, uh, refusal to accept and move on, Mm -hmm. neither of you would have made the connection that you made today. Mm -hmm. And what a loss that is to live a life without connections like that with other people. That's true. And a lot of people hook up in negative ways. This is the positive way that leads to so many better things. It doesn't mean, though, and Diane said this, that life's going to be easy. Right. In fact, she doesn't even expect that. Better? She's a young, beautiful woman. She certainly wants better, and she should have it. She deserves it. But she also knows that she lives from one day to the next, making the best of each day, no matter what it brings. Now, that's a lot of wisdom for a woman in her mid-20s. Diane, I hope you're in your mid Maybe I'm wrong about that. Are you? You can tell me. It's got to be a compliment yeah. one way or the other. You're a beautiful woman, whatever you are. And uh, wait a minute, late 20s. But anyway, a lot of wisdom for a young woman. So it's the kind of wisdom when it comes, it could come at any age. I know people who are much older that have that same wisdom. I also know people that are much older that have the negative bitterness in their life. Absolutely, and it ages them. It ages them, and they're living misery. They're not really living. They're just a mess. They're just kind of existing and surviving. We know plenty of them. But I got to say, I'm surrounded by a lot. I want to say I'm surrounded by sweet, angelic, good people. The people I know in this community are so compassionate and sweet to me and to my wife uh, and to the work we're doing. I'm very, very grateful. I know the others are out there too, but I frankly, uh, I'm not really interested in engaging with them too much, and they're not coming through my life gratefully too often. When they do, sure, I can deal with it. I I grew up with that kind of life, but it's not something that I want to have part of my life by choice. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I hope this broadcast and this series is going to help people the ones that are certainly needing encouragement right now in the midst of it, those that are going through long-term crises and trauma, and for those that have been going down the wrong road, I'm encouraging you to take this seriously today and hear this broadcast probably in a different way than you normally would, and take it seriously. You need to change. You need to turn around and make some new choices before it's too late. Uh, and in some ways, it's never too late, and in other ways, it can, it be, can be too late. Yeah. So we really we hope and pray for you all. Um, uh, this paper that we, we have, people can get this paper. It's a really good one. It will be available soon, and uh, we'll, have, we'll have some information on how to get a copy. Uh, hopefully we'll have that for our next, our next broadcast. Good. Yeah, it's a great paper. I love it. It's very reaffirming to us, and we wrote it. But most of the things we write, even our book, are they reaffirm us, and I hope they'll do the same for you. And our book is, uh, if you go to our website, our book is uh, a link there to purchase it. So that one is ready right away for people to get a mm-hmm. copy of. Yeah, that's a good book. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we wish you the best. We hope this made an impact on you today. And I hope we took a heavy subject, but I hope we can show you that it's there's a reason to be uplifted and hopeful and encouraged even when life hits you hard. So if you need us, get in touch with us. We're here. We do have the, the energy for those folks that are really needing help. We're here for you. And we know many other people like ourselves. Well, our best to you. We'll be back soon with our next uh, broadcast. Take care. You've been listening 
to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. And if you'd like to know more about our show or about Peter, uh, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. That's thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. And as I said, there is information on our website about finding a, a link to Peter's book. Uh, also, uh, you can please like us on Facebook or Instagram. And we want to thank you for listening, for joining us, for taking in uh, to your heart and mind the, uh, the things that, that we have to offer and hope will make such a difference to you wherever you are right now. And we hope you'll join us again next time.